one of the most impactful things you can do for your portfolio is add money or capital to it. A consistent and persistent schedule of funding your account, even with small amounts, gives you the added boost that compounds over time. But we all know this already, don't we? So why don't we do it? Or at least the level that we should be doing it now. And so on today's show, I'm going to help you break down the zillion ways you can save money to invest into core concepts that I've used in my own life to save money at an incredible pace. And I'm a firm believer that these big ideas around saving money will help free up some cash for you. You're listening to the Option Alpha podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently place smarter, more profitable trades. So thank you so much for tuning in today on today's show, number 190. We're going to be talking about, yes, the zillion ways that you can save money. Now, truth be told, what I wanted to do in naming this podcast was I wanted to go through, say, like 156 ways you can save money. But when I started actually building out the list, I realized there's not just 156 ways you can save more money or have more money to invest. There's a zillion ways. There's literally an infinite combination of ways in which you can do it. And what I basically came to the realization was that there's probably six big rocks that we need to talk about, six really core competencies or big ideas that I believe if you take these together, you even do one or two of them, it can help you save more money, generate more money, earn more money that you can use in your investing. Because at the end of the day, we all have heard the story about the two people who started investing. One person invests money for a couple of years and then stops and lets their investment compound over time. The other person waits to start investing and then they invest later basically for the rest of their life and they never catch up to the first person. So we know intuitively that it's more important for us to continue to save and invest, which sometimes is offering us a greater return on our investment than just simply finding strategies that perform better. And so my goal here is to help you do a little bit of both on this podcast and with Option Alpha, learn how to trade strategies that hopefully do better and perform better with less risk. But at the same time, one thing that we haven't tackled as much and we need to tackle here is how do you get into a mindset around saving more money and around using that additional savings or additional money that you earn to continue to help fuel your investment account. Because what a lot of people end up doing is they start saving a little bit of money and they put aside, say, $5,000, then they throw it into a trading account never to be added to again. And that's the wrong mentality to have. What you should be doing is you should be continuously funding your trading account and your investment accounts and your retirement accounts. That should be an ongoing process. It's almost like you should consider that like another bill that you have to pay. You have to pay for your retirement in the future and for your wealth generation in the future. But oftentimes people don't do that. And I don't know what the mental roadblock is, but I want to try to break it down as much as I can here today on this podcast. Before we get into these six things that I think are critically important for you to do, The thing that I have to distinguish between in this podcast is there is a fine line between being just a cheapskate, which really is defined as a miserable person or stingy person, especially one who tries to avoid paying their fair share of costs or expenses, right? That's a cheapskate. And I don't think that necessarily being a cheapskate is bad in all cases, but for the most part, what we're looking for is we're looking for you to ultimately become just a financially coherent adult, someone who looks at the difference between price and value. 
And that, if you really wrap it up into a lot of these big rocks that we're going to be talking about, really makes a dramatic difference in where you'll end up in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So as I mentioned before, I want to go through the six big areas that have really impacted me and my mentality and thought process around saving and continuously funding my savings and my retirement accounts and my investing accounts because they really had a dramatic impact on me. And I am very much a geek when it comes to this stuff. I geek out just as much on personal finance and investing and savings as I do on trading. So if you think that all of my passion and all of my emphasis is always on just options trading, it's actually not. I really kind of geek out on the whole financial space in general. And so anything finance related, especially stuff like this, I think is extremely fascinating. And I might have a different take on it than maybe you've heard before. So pay attention here. Would love to know your thoughts, what you do as you guys start to fund your accounts, how you save, how you set up systems to remember to do this, whether it's automatically Anything that you do that you feel like could add value, add it to the show notes page over at optionalpha.com slash show 190. Again, that's just the number 190, optionalpha.com slash show 190. All right. So number one here on my list is DBSS. And I say this all the time because me and my wife say this back and forth to each other. And we have basically for the entirety of our relationship, we've married over 10 years now. This year was our 10-year anniversary. And we've continuously said this back and forth to each other for a long time, which is DBSS. Don't buy stupid stuff. It really comes down to that. Now, look, this is a really easy one, but it's actually one that a lot of people don't actually adhere to. And what I mean by stupid stuff is stupid stuff that you frankly just don't need. You would like to have, but you frankly just don't need. This could be anything from a phone case. It could be anything from a little cool trinket for your car or better car mats because you really like the WeatherTech car mats when the regular car mats are just as fine, right? It's just stupid stuff that ultimately can compound on top of itself. It's death by a thousand cuts in personal finance. It's buying the brand new car when you could buy a gently used car and save a ton of money. It's going on a wild first class vacation when really you're only going to be flying for an hour and a half. So why would you spend all the extra money for first class when you're just going to be sitting in a relatively uncomfortable seat anyway in the regular you know, class and the regular seats at the back of the plane? It's little stuff like that that I don't think a lot of people actually take the time to think about, but those little seemingly insignificant decisions that you make ultimately end up ruining you in the long term because you could be saving 20, 30, 40, 50, hundred dollars here and there. You know, at the end of the year, all of this little stuff adds up to thousands of dollars a year. Now, again, I'm totally different and I'm weird compared to a lot of other people. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, Kirk, I'm with you. I, I, I feel you, right? Like we're, we're jiving. But I look at a lot of things and I think to myself, how stupid is it that we need to get that thing when it could cost me that combined with all the other don't buy stupid stuff that I might have, you know, be enticed to buy adds up to thousands of dollars a year. So let me give you maybe a couple examples. When people were flying, right? This was pre-COVID when people actually used to fly. It never occurred to me and was never a thing that I did to upgrade to first class. One, because it was just an extra couple inches of leg room, woohoo. But two, like my life is going to be spent a fraction of the time flying in the air, right? So I don't think that the value is there for me to upgrade ever to first class and fly first class to go someplace when 
I'm going to spend an hour and a half, okay, in an uncomfortable seat, and I don't want to pay $200 more to spend it in a two and a half inch wider uncomfortable seat. It just doesn't make any sense to me to do that. Another classic one that I always like rag on people when I'm in their cars about is buying the phone holder that your phone gets attached to, say, like the vent fan or something like that. And I get the utility of it. I understand you can attach your phone to it and it clips right into your thing. But that little thing that was $20, $25, whatever, you buy one for each car. Now you've got, you know, $25, $50, $75 wrapped up in this little stupid vent clip for your phone, which you frankly just don't need. You don't need that thing. You don't really need to be watching your phone anyway when you're driving. And two, it could just easily sit on your lap or in the center console or in a cup holder or something like that. You just don't need that stupid little thing. So when I hear people all the time, and this is, I'll be totally honest and open with you. When I hear people complain about that they don't have enough money, I totally do not buy that argument. I think that in many cases, people have money to spend. And I'm not I'm not disputing the fact that some people just don't make enough money to li- I get that side. Okay. So I'm not saying that everybody has all this money and whatever. Don't please don't take this the wrong way. The people who have money to spend, when they say they don't have enough money to spend on something, it's more of a reflection of their habits of what they're spending on than what they're choosing to save. And so if you're choosing to buy this little trinket and that little trinket and this little upgrade, which doesn't seem like a lot, it actually ends up costing you in the long run. And I think many times hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the first rule here for me is DBSS. Just don't buy stupid stuff. Think about every little thing that you're going for and see if you can buy something a little bit different, maybe cheaper, that's just as valuable, right? Or just don't buy it at all. Like, do you really absolutely 100% need this? Does your life depend on you having this thing? And I think if you start asking those questions, you'll find that you'll magically have at the end of months and you know quarters and years, a little bit more money than you thought you used to have, right? Number two, microscopic changes. This one to me, I feel like I could write a book about one day, but there are microscopic financial decisions that you can make that you don't even realize will add up over time. And I very much am of the school of thought that a little bit of attention to these microscopic things ends up saving you hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of your life. Now, again, these microscopic changes don't feel like much at the time. This is the difference between, for example, if you turn up the heat in your house from 72 degrees to 73 degrees, that extra degree of heat, you really don't feel. You don't walk into your house and go, wow, it's one extra degree hotter in this house. But those are the types of changes that I think are all around you, literally all around you that you don't even realize or pay attention to right now. And I'm just asking you to maybe give a second thought on. So things for me in my household, and my wife and kids know this because I harp on this all the time, but turning off the lights when you exit a room, like when you walk out of the room, turn the light off. Now in our house, if we have the bathroom light on all day and we have the kitchen light on all day and the bedroom lights on all day, our bill is not going to be dramatically higher at the end of the month. But man, if we could just turn the lights off when we walk out of the room and develop a habit around that, I bet you we save $100 at the end of the year, right? Through the the course of the months and all the time, I bet you we save $100 at the end of the year. Just that one little thing that seemingly is so insignificant, we save so much money. 
The other thing for my household too is don't let the water run. So like I'm a huge fan of not letting the water run ever. So if you want to get hot water out of the sink, fill up a pot of water for us to cook on tonight and put that on the stove ready to go, right? But like don't let the water run just to get hot water. Again, little things like that I feel like could save us $100 a year because we save thousands of gallons of just letting the water run in the sink, not letting the water run when you do dishes or when you're cleaning stuff. I mean, again, little tiny stuff like this saves you so much money over the course of your life. If you're going to do anything and you're going to buy in bulk, make sure that you use it. This one is one that's a big pet peeve of mine because admittedly, and if my parents are listening to this, I'm sorry, mom and dad, but this is totally you guys. I I, I do the antithesis of this because of you guys, but they are very much people who will go to Costco and buy in bulk, but then they let the savings in bulk basically waste away because they don't actually use it. So it's being cognizant of the extra step, the extra level behind what you're doing. So if you go to Costco and you buy a bunch of stuff in bulk, just make sure you use it so that you can reap the benefits of saving that money because otherwise buying it in bulk and then letting half of it expire or go worthless is really not saving you any money at all, right? The other thing you can do is downgrade your TV plan. Use more Wi-Fi versus cellular. So if you have a Wi-Fi cellular plan phone plan, See if you can downgrade the amount of cellular data that you use or need to use and deliberately turn on Wi-Fi more and turn off your – put it on airplane mode and pretend you're flying during the day, right? So that you can use less – all these microscopic changes that you can make, again, that just really add up at the end of the month. And I don't think a lot of people actually think about them. My mind goes like this all the time and my poor wife has to deal with this because I always think about this. I'm like, how could I do this a little bit better? What if I – use different batteries or what if I did this or how, you know, how can we downgrade our TV plan? Cause we don't, we really don't use all of these channels at all. I don't even know what those channels are. How can we just use these? And okay, we lose, for example, HGTV, which I don't care about. We lose HGTV and now we can't do that. So, you know, could that save us $20 a month, which is basically you know, a couple hundred dollars at the end of a course of a couple of years, all of these things, I don't think you pay attention to, and hopefully you will now. Just one extra action as you're leaving a room to flip a light switch off can save you hundreds of dollars a year. And you do that coupled with a lot of other things and and you've got quite a lot of money. You can continue to fund your trading. Number three here, financial planning. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh God, Kirk, you're going to go down this whole financial planning route. But this goes well beyond just planning to investing each month and contributing to your IRA. What I'm talking about here is I'm talking about being strategic with everything that you do during the month. And this doesn't have to be this massive undertaking that you go through. But I even think things like planning your trip to the grocery store in conjunction with going to fill up your car and running errands can save you hundreds of dollars a year. Being very strategic about making one trip to the grocery store every week, right? Planning your meals, knowing exactly what you're going to buy. Because what we used to do, and that me and my wife were guilty of this for sure before we had kids because it was very easy to do. But we used to go to the grocery store. Oh, you forgot something or we're going to have something different for dinner tonight. Yeah, let's run to the grocery store. No problem. But every time you do that, you're 
run into the grocery store and burning gas. And then you go in and you grab two extra things that you didn't think you needed, right? And then two of those things go bad and you basically wasted it in the fridge. But it's being very specific about how you plan your finances. So now what we do is we make a meal plan for the entire week. We go to the grocery store once. We also fill up a gas because we're there at the same time. So that's not an extra trip. And we do all the running around that we need in that area at one time. And if we need to go back there, we wait. And that's important. We don't go back there just because we need one little thing. We say, look, we we can't go back there now, right? Like we already did our trip. So we'll do it next week or we'll figure out a way to get around it. Or maybe we don't need that thing for dinner tonight. We can, we can go without it this time. And again, I don't think that this is a dramatic shift in how we do things, but it's being more conscious about how we plan our trips and how we plan our week. And I think if you do that and you do it smart, you don't even know the savings that you're just un- unleashing Basically, that you have this untapped savings that you didn't even know you were spending because you didn't feel it. It didn't feel like you were spending extra money. It just felt like you were going to the grocery store real quick. Some other ones you could do are avoiding unnecessary trips, avoiding unnecessary insurance, basically doubling up with people who go to places. So, I mean, look, call up a friend, call up a family member. See if they're going to the grocery store. Maybe you guys take turns. Maybe somebody is going to, you know, like we used to live really far from a Costco. So that was like an hour trip. So if somebody was going, we'd all go together and, you know, split the cost and we go. So it's doing things like that just strategically that I guess unlock some of this money that you don't even know is tied up in these just meaningless things that you're doing. Number four, this one's a really fun one. Borrow versus buy. And I'm not talking about borrow money, okay? So what I'm talking about here is going back to the good old days of borrowing things from your friends and family. Get stuff from a neighbor or family member versus going out and immediately buying it. I believe probably, and I think men are probably guilty of this for sure, so I will put myself in that camp for sure, but I think that men are very guilty of if we need a tool, we want to go buy it. I know I am, right? Like if I need a sawzall. I want to go buy a sawzall, but I don't need to because my neighbor and my father-in-law and my two brother-in-laws, they already have three of them. And I just have to ask them if I could borrow it. And that's it. And I save myself $150, $200 versus going out and feeling the win or the seemingly win of just buying that sawzall or whatever I need, that tool, right? So replace this with whatever you want. But the idea here is get back into a habit of just asking to borrow something. And by the way, if if someone else came to you and said, hey, can I borrow that thing that you have? And one that we used recently was like a power washer. Like, can I just borrow your power washer for an afternoon, right? They'd be like, yeah, of course, sure, no problem. And that's what I've always found is like, if I just ask somebody, hey, can I borrow that for a little bit? Or like for an afternoon? I've never met somebody who's like, nope, absolutely not. Cannot do it, you know? But if you were to go out and spend money on a power washer that you literally only use once or twice, it's just wasted money that just, again, you don't even feel it go out the door because you need it at the time and you got value and utility out of it. I understand. But did you really need to buy it? Could you just borrow it or rent it or whatever the case is? Another cool one too, and and uh, my wife's family is very, very big in this. And we actually, sometimes we make fun of them because they do this almost to like the nth degree all the way out, but is how can you share big items with friends and family? How can you collectively go in together and say, look, you know, like a power washer or something else, like how can you say, look, we, we all are going to get a little bit of use out of this, but we're not going to use it every day, right? And we can definitely share it around the family. 
why don't we all collectively go in and split the cost on this? Or why don't we rent it for an afternoon and then we'll take it around and everyone does their power washing for that afternoon? It's thinking strategically about how you can borrow things versus just going outright and buying it. We're in such a culture where it's very easy, of course, on Amazon and everything else. You can buy and it's at your doorstep in two days or less. But what can we do to just borrow something from somebody else? Number five on my list here is spend wisely. Now, look, this one's a big one for me because this one seems counterintuitive, but it's really not. It's being mostly driven about the value of the things that you are purchasing or that you're investing in and not being as concerned or not leading with price. Because when you lead with price, you get what you pay for. And that's ultimately what it is. And I learned this lesson the hard way a number of times. But one thing in particular, and I, I will give my mother-in-law credit to this for this, she has always told me, she goes, Kirk, you have to buy quality furniture. I know you think you're like, this is a podcast about options trading, but it's very relatable. You have to buy quality furniture. And I always think, ah, oh, yeah, you know, that's fine, whatever. And we would go and just like everyone else, we go to Ikea and I'm not ragging on Ikea. I'm just using them as an example, but we go to Ikea and we buy something and lo and behold, it would break or fall apart or something would ret, you know, like they would start to peel apart after a year or two. And I learned the value of buying stuff and spending wisely through my mother-in-law who would buy furniture and then keep it forever, but keep it looking nice, right? Like it's not like it's bad furniture, like it looks good and she keeps it well. And she stays, she maintains that value of her furniture because she bought high quality, very valuable stuff. And she invested time into making sure that it stayed that way. I feel like those types of ideals are missing from today's culture where it's so easy to go out and buy a side, you know, end table or a bedroom set or whatever. And God forbid, it's so easy to just put it on 12 payments, no interest, whatever credit card when you open up you know, a store card. It's so easy for us to do that. We've lost this idea that we can actually value things for a really long time. And my father is also a good example of this where he's uh, uh, used to be a mechanic. And so like, he's really good with cars. I've talked about this on the podcast a number of times. My father will drive cars into the ground. And I'm not talking he will have them and they'll be like falling apart. He keeps them so well, changes the oil all the time to the point at which I think he's got one of his cars now has almost 300,000 miles on it. Now he's had to put some money into it and change things. Obviously, it's not the same, you know, like spark plugs and it's not the same brakes and rotors, but he takes care of his vehicles. And so he has been able to save hundreds of thousands of dollars probably by not having to replace things all the time, by not buying something that is super cheap, right? And being a cheapskate about it, he invests into valuable things that are quality. And that's really important. So try to figure out in your life, okay, what can I do to invest into something that's high quality, that's valuable, that will give me a benefit for many, many years? And then focus your attention on making sure it maintains that value and and stays up to your standards, essentially. Number six, and this is the last one here, and I think this one's really important because Everything that we've talked about so far has been on the cutting side of personal finance, right? How can you reduce spending or reduce, you know, some of your bills or cut some of the and that stuff is sometimes hard because people don't want to give up things, even though sometimes you don't even know that it could be better for you to give some things up and you feel better about it. But people don't want to give things up. So number six is really figure out a way to boost your income. Look, in today's day and age, I just don't understand why we can't or why you couldn't take on 
what some people call like a side hustle. Now, trading might be a little bit of a side hustle for you, but I kind of look at trading as more of investing. It shouldn't be looked at as like this side hustle that you do. It should be something that you just continuously do in the future to improve the performance of your portfolio and build wealth, right? But what I'm talking about is maybe targeting 10% of your income per year and increasing that level of income in some sort of other thing that you can do to boost your income. So if you make $60,000 a year, try to figure out a way to make an extra 500 bucks a month and then put all of that money towards your trading account and your investments, right? Like use that side hustle, that income boost, that extra thing you do to really supercharge your investing and trading account. And I firmly believe everyone can do this. I think if you actually put in the effort, it's a little bit of a grind, a little bit of a hustle on the in the evenings, but I really think that you can do this. You can start a small business, which is easier said than done, of course, but you can. You can start a small business, start a blog or a website. You know, I've told people for years, like you should be blogging about your trading or whatever you're interested in. Start that and then see what comes out. There's a lot of opportunities to just start some of those things and just get a little bit of, say, ad revenue or affiliate revenue or sell something like that. You can do that very easily. Write content. This is an easy one. I mean, this is like a no-brainer, easy one to do. And there are hundreds of thousands of companies that are out there looking for people to write content for them. Look, if you want to write content for Option Alpha, let us know. We've hired a number of writers this year already because we want to increase the pace at which we're writing and developing content. So if in the evening you can write an article piece on something that you have expertise and authority and trust in, great, do that. There's companies out there that are looking for that and they'll pay you as a contractor to write pieces of content. Another way you can do this is to just promote your skills on something like Upwork. Upwork is a great resource where, and and I've done this a number of times where I'm looking for somebody to help out with an Excel formula or a coding thing or a, a website issue. And I'll just post a job up there and it might be 200 bucks, 300 bucks to just fix something that I just am going to spend two and a half days trying to get, get right. And it's worth it for me to just find somebody to do it correctly that has expertise. So whatever you have expertise in, there are probably people who are looking for your expertise. And it doesn't have to be something that you take on a second job and you do it full, you know, part-time, three hours a week. It could be just one-off things that you do here and there. You know, one extra little side gig that you do for two hours on the weekend could make $200, $300 if you, you know, have some valuable skills that somebody wants to get. There are so many things that you can do to increase your income just here and there. It's just, it's fascinating to me that people don't do it. And then a lot of people, frankly, just complain about how there's not enough opportunity. To me, there's so many opportunities that's kind of like swirling around you that you almost have to filter through them and stop all of them from coming in. So my suggestion to you would be is that if you're listening to this, you made it to this point and you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I save more money? Do all the things we did in one for one through five, but then also figure out a way to boost the other side. How do I just get a little bit more income coming in and put all of that towards your investing and your wealth generation? Because that's what's going to pay the dividends at the end of the day. That's what's going to generate that long-term capital appreciation that will allow you to not have to work your tail off for the rest of your life. So hopefully all of this has been insanely helpful. Like I said in the beginning, there are truly a zillion ways to save money to invest. My goal in doing this podcast was to help you realize potentially, hopefully some of the areas 
that you're overlooking or not even aware of consciously and start to focus on those so that you can redirect your energy, rebuild some habits, start to develop some new habits, and ultimately figure out ways to free up capital that you already have tied up in these things and activities that you do so that you can start investing more of that into your trading and more of that into your investment accounts. So as always, you can get a lot of this on the show notes page over at optionalpha.com slash show 190. Again, that's just the number 190, optionalpha.com slash show 190. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now, here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. This is Sitesh from India. First of all, thanks for the podcast and all the free content. Uh, my question is, does the non-limited option selling strategies like strangles and straddles work as usual during recession period? Let's say 2000s dot-com crash and 2008 and other older bubbles. If not, in those periods, buying strangles or straddles would have made sense because I see that actual volatility is higher than the implied volatility in those periods. Thank you. All right. So first of all, thank you so much for submitting the question here. This is a great question. And I think it's a little bit of a nuance approach that we have to take with this because it's not such a clear black and white answer to say, yes, during recession periods, high volatility periods, that switching from an option selling strategy to an option buying strategy would yield the most profitable results. We actually did a podcast on this a while back where we looked at buying long put options heading into market crashes, specifically the 2008 crash. And what we actually found during that time period was that buying long put options only worked when you were in the depths of the crisis. So at the deepest point, at the most volatile point, that's when actually buying put options worked because every time before then, the market moved, but it didn't move enough to compensate for the risk. So what happens during these market collapses is that as the collapse starts to unfold, and we saw this in the 2000s, 2008, we saw it briefly in 2015, at the end of 2018, and again in 2020 with the market collapse, we see that volatility starts to shoot up. And as volatility starts to shoot up, it makes the pricing of these out-of-the-money put options and out-of-the-money long options very, very expensive by multiple factors of what they used to be. And so now what that creates is that creates a situation where the market has to outperform those exaggerated expectations by an even wider margin. Now, when the market actually moves 10%, you think to yourself, wow, the market moved 10%, which maybe is much more than what people were expecting, but maybe the options were already pricing a 15% move. So the 10% move for sure was large and seems big, but it wasn't as far as the market expected the stock to go or the markets to go. So it's not so black and white to say, yes, you should switch from option selling to option buying. Now, of course, when you go through those types of recessionary large volatility events, those are where option selling strategies are notoriously bad. This is the black swan events that notoriously kill option selling strategies where you hear the quotes and the, the phrases picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. And that's the time periods where you can get really, really hurt as an option seller. I would argue that there's things that you can do to counterbalance that, which we've talked about. Things like position sizing, trading more neutral strategies, adjusting for the direction of the market. So as the market goes down, start selling more bearish positions to counterbalance that. 
trading uncorrelated tickers, having a volatility hedge in place, all of those things can help withstand the blow and the impact of time periods like that because you can't ever avoid them. So the phrase that I've heard people use before and I really like is, you're not going to avoid getting punched in the face, but you should avoid getting the knockout punch. That's really what's going to happen. So I think in those periods, buying straddles and strangles definitely could yield some benefits and some results, but it's very hard still to predict the magnitude of the move and the timing of the move. Even during high volatility environments, it's very easy to think you can just walk in and buy a bunch of options and see your portfolio explode in value. But the magnitude and the timing of the move is very hard to get right. So hopefully that helps out. As always, if you guys want to get your question answered here on the podcast, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install, and it's really, really easy to do. So let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to discuss a new trade that we made recently in Tesla. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so a new trade that I want to talk about is in Tesla. And actually, just for full disclosure, this is a trade that we've already closed, but I want to talk about the full position that we did here because I think it does hit on a couple key areas that oftentimes gets overlooked when I think about trading. And again, this is my perspective on it. This is how I think about it. And I think a lot of people would share the same the same ideals and the same opinion on how you should be trading. But I've always said that I think there's a difference between your core portfolio, the things that you should be doing you know, day in and day out, and the things that are fun to do in trading. I think that the reason we all got into trading to some degree is because we like it, because we like the action and being in the game and being invested in trading and seeing things move. On some level, we enjoy that and we get a little bit of a thrill out of it. It's just not letting that take total control of your account and of all the positions that you do. But I've very much been of the opinion and support the idea of doing these little small, you know, kind of playful trades if you want to, just with a very small percentage of your account. And Tesla for us has been one of those this year. We've made a number of trades in Tesla, but we recently made another trade in Tesla back on August 24th, where we went bearish. And we were pretty open about exactly what we were doing. We thought that Tesla was going on a little bit of a run, which it was, and was continuing to make higher highs and just looked like it was on a rocket ship, no pun intended, heading to the moon, right? And we thought, look, I've seen this a number of times. I don't think it's going to last and we want to make a bearish position. There is no problem doing that in trading. I think if you want to do that with a bunch of small positions and you want to take these admittedly speculative bets, you should do that. Just don't do it with your whole account. And that's what I really want to get across in today's podcast. And, and the point of this is you're okay to make some speculative decisions. You don't like Tesla. You love Tesla. You don't like Amazon. You love Amazon. You don't like Facebook, you love Facebook, or any number of combinations, that's fine. Just don't use it as the core foundation of your trading because as we saw in Tesla, and you can go on just a bunch of Reddit groups and Facebook groups and see this yourself, people lost their shirts on this thing, right? When this thing turned, which inevitably we knew it was going to turn, and it turned and it went down almost 36%, peaked the trough in five days, people got wiped out. I mean, literally wiped out. Now, we don't see any of the like the backlash and damage of some of this, but I'm sure this probably caused a lot of divorces, a lot of arguments, a lot of fights, a lot of it. And it's because people were being too risky with their money. 
and they weren't using a core portfolio of positions that was based on sound logic and data and reason, and then allowing themselves to, yes, play a little bit here and there. So what we ended up doing with our position in Tesla, just so you guys know, and this is all split adjusted, by the way. So I won't, we actually went through the split during this time period, but split adjusted, this is basically what we were looking at. We did a very simple directional put debit spread. Yes, you heard me right. I actually did a put debit spread on this. And we did a put debit spread where we were buying put options in a spread. So buying a put option, then selling a lower put option to finance it. And we basically paid about $110 for these put options that we bought. Again, adjusted after the split. And the idea behind doing this was that we were just purely taking a directional move on Tesla. Now, at the time that we got into this, because the price had not adjusted for the split, it was unreasonable for us to do this as a credit call spread. I would have loved to do a credit call spread, but the spreads were so wide that even doing a one-lot position, which is originally what we did, even doing a one-lot position, we ultimately ended up with a spread that was just way too much in risk. And so for me, what I wanted to do was just something very small, very manageable. In our case, it was a one-lot, basically about 500 bucks of total risk that we got into for the first position. And I thought that that was totally appropriate to play it and be speculative and have some fun with it. And so we finally got the move down in Tesla that we wanted. We closed the position, made, I think, $200, not something that you should write home about, definitely not going to allow you to quit your day job, but it really proves the point that you can be fun and speculative with the markets as long as you do it small. So if we would have lost $500 on the position, by no means would that have crushed us, not even close. But it allows us that opportunity to have a little fun with it. And look, I think that that's totally what trading should be on some level. It should be 99% doing the mundane, boring, mechanical stuff that now you can do through auto trading and having fun with it here and there if you want to, just not doing it in overkill. To use the analogy of like food and right, like a healthy diet. You got to have your apples and your bananas and your vegetables and your grains. You got to have that. That's the core, right? That may not always be fun and exciting, but you got to have that. And then you can have a piece of candy or some chocolate or whatever. Just don't eat all chocolate and candy and ice cream all day because you're going to get a tummy ache, right? And that's what people get with a hangover and trading is they have all this fun with their positions that seem really fun in the moment until a Tesla happens and it snaps back and moves down 36% in five days and they can't unwind positions. Another one that was really interesting and just to even prove this point even further was Zoom. Zoom had amazing earnings just about a week and a half ago and had this monster move up. Four days later, it was 25% lower. It sucked a lot of people into this type of position. And if you over allocated in this, you got wiped out or potentially got wiped out on what you thought was easy money. So please be cognizant of what you're doing. Understand if you are taking a speculative bet that you size it appropriately and call it what it is, like call a spade a spade. If it's a speculative, risky bet, make sure that you understand what you're doing how the position could fail, and you're okay losing the money if it goes the opposite direction, right? Which I think is is something that most people don't do. So hopefully that helps out. As always, if you guys have any questions on this, just let us know or add a comment to the show notes over at optionalpha.com slash show 190. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com.
All right. So that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here at Option Alpha. But before you go, please keep the conversation going. Please connect with me on your favorite social media platform. We are everywhere at Option Alpha. Let me know what questions, ideas you have or thoughts came to mind after listening to today's show. Also want to let you know what we've got coming up. We've got a really cool episode coming next week on investor biases that can ruin your performance. So you definitely don't want to miss that one. Plus, we've got a lot of new demos scheduled for our auto trading platform. So after the announcement last week of our auto trading platform, we have a ton amount of interest in it, which has been great. We're fielding questions left and right, which is amazing. Please keep them coming. All the ideas, suggestions, questions, we definitely want to hear those. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be scheduling out demos, basically a couple demos every week live with me to kind of go through the new platform, show you some of the things it can do, answer your questions, start building out strategies and bots. So if you want to jump on one of those demos or watch a recording of a previous demo, once we start doing those, head on over to optionalpha.com slash demo and then just pick your time and date or watch a previous recording when they're available. But this is a really good way to figure out if the new platform is right for you and see how it could potentially help you with your trading, eliminate the time and all the painstaking click and and point that we have to do now that we're trying to remove from the equation for you to streamline it and give you more options in your life essentially. So again, head on over to optionalpha.com slash demo to pick a date and time to jump on a live demo with me. It's going to be a lot of people in there. I'm sure that we're going to fill up a lot of these spaces. So you want to get your space and get your position in those demos right away. Again, head on over to optionalpha.com slash demo. As always, truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. And until next time, happy trading.